0: Here's Joanne White.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Power Your Life. I'm Dr. Joanne White, and I am very excited about my guests today because autism is not only a hot topic, it's something that's very, very dear to my heart. Many of you know that my book, More Heaven, Because Every Child is Special, has just received a Mom's Choice Award for Excellence and just also received a blue ribbon. So we're very excited about it, and you know my passion, hopefully, for working with children with autism. We're going to introduce two people. I'm still waiting for... Teresa Cooper who's in school teaching children so hopefully she'll be here soon however we are very very blessed to have Michelle Renee Connor here and Michelle is the founder and the CEO of Making Real Connections Creative Arts Counseling Center which was founded in 2008 She was a featured dancer with Walt Disney World, Carnival, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, and Lily Langtree's Dinner Theater in Valley Forge, PA, before she earned her Master's of Arts in Creative Art Therapy. Michelle brings dance, movement therapy, and traditional counseling together in a very creative way to help people reach their personal goals, and she has some wonderful stories about working with children and young adults with autism. The center offers special needs programs, educational resources, hands-on workshops, intense social skills groups, recreational and community-based programs, and so much more. It is my pleasure to welcome Michelle Renee Connor. Hello, how are you?
2: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm, I'm doing well-, well. I love the fact that you've been doing so much with children and young adults with autism. And tell us a little bit about the center because I just touched upon it, but this is something that is a hub for families, and you're doing such wonderful work. You and I have spoken before on the phone, and we're very like-minded in our in our approach to children with autism. So tell us a little bit about the center, Michelle.
2: Okay, thank you. The center is a creative art therapy studio, and in that I mean it has a sensory zone with the things that anyone would want to use to um, help with a variety of, say, symptoms or to improve different things with weights and balls and things like that. And as well, we have a, I call it the hug room or the family space, which is more muted colors and uh, softer for family discussions or one-on-one discussions. And as we move along, We also have a safe place for the parents who have access to the upstairs lounge boutique area, and they sometimes during group will bond and create um, a relationship within themselves, or they'll just lock themselves in and say, go work with my kid, and I'll be here, and they play around and what have you. So it's got enough division in it to provide what I call the community of opportunity. And what's the hug come room? Like, <laughs> so that's a little bit What's about the it. hug
1: room, Michelle? Hmm? What's the hug room?
2: The hug room is divided by a three panel tier, like a a room divider. And what all it, of the
1: are, what does it
2: do? Oh, it provides a a a hug around whatever is coming into the room, whether the person has autism, whether the person has related disorders or the family's coming for the first time, I will always start mostly in that room because, like I said, the, the colors are very muted, pinks and soft, and um, the music is warm, and it just helps people relax while they're sitting in this place like this doesn't look like an office. And that's what I like to convey is that whenever you come in, you can make it what you want it to be and everyone has something they've contributed to the wall to the shelves to uh lego design and it pretty much stays as part of the
1: now you and I talked and you've read more heaven and we've talked about some some of the similar things that we've done with children and and you've worked with young adults I only worked with children at that time of of the the first draft of that book You spoke with me about working with a nonverbal boy who was autistic at the time and using movement. Can you just briefly tell us a little bit about that? Because I find that so in keeping with with what I do and certainly very effective in my mind.
2: Okay, well, as soon as you started that, I had the biggest grin come on my face, and it continues (laughs) to be here. Because this little boy who is now 13 um, came to me as an individual needing therapy after he'd been in a program, you know, moving up into, from the intermediate unit into, you know, the Philadelphia school district. So they came for counseling and there were times where he could last 10 minutes before his mother would be in the waiting room at, an, at another office and have to come Rescue me, so to speak. but over that time, we built that time up to a full session, and it became really delightful that they were coming routinely. Not such a great draw, I mean, not too bad of a of a distance to come there. but that was in two thousand five and in two thousand and eight, I did move into what I dreamed, my own studio of making real connections, and they followed me down. So they travel more, but they're still as consistent. He was three. He's 13. I needed three charts to hold our information. And just quickly, there are a lot of poignant things that both he and his mother have taught me. And again, I have a project that will be released in the near future that will be able to include not only our local families, but access from a variety of social media for other families to access um, across the global area, I would believe, I hope. But how to work with somebody who is nonverbal, but you totally get them. And so I have had their permission to videotape every session for the last year and a half, maybe. And I'm getting ready to put together the dance of autism. And his name is Dan. Dan. So in in my vision, the dance of autism is really that he and his mother have been my best teachers. This child, who is now 13, is two hundred and thirty five pounds, six foot two, still nonverbal, but the most delightful and happy boy you would ever meet. And the reasons that he may get frustrated or upset, because we don't understand and then my goal my job my my passion is to get him to where he feels he is included in everything and his mother has modeled that her trust in me to keep coming you know with you know all the things that can be going on in in their lives and it's a sunday morning every time they come you know
1: michelle you know michelle what what's what I find very interesting is that many children on the spectrum are, you know, we many children are not understood and that's I think that the onus of that is on us because these children are trying to communicate in their own special way and you know that's what you and I both experienced and you're, you know, still experiencing <clears throat> excuse me working with these children is that it's so important to really be where they are and and before you can do anything else you have to get to that place you have to be able to and i've talked about this in more heaven you have to be able to get into their world and embrace their world just like this boy and i'm hoping that you and i are going to be doing that dance of the specs the, 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 that that autism dance together because i have I, beautiful ideas for you so hopefully you'll include me in that project because I'm very excited about it. So my question is how do you know when you're working with somebody that's nonverbal, and this is for people who are tuning in, we're talking with Michelle Renee Connor and we're talking about working with children with autism and really working with, with this particular boy who had no language. He, and, and yet through movement and play He's able to do so much. So, how do you how do you get to a place, Michelle, where you can understand what Dan is saying, and so that you that he feels that he's being heard, and that his communication is creating some kind of interaction, some kind of dialogue.
2: Okay. Again, I have a big grin on my face because it is a dance. <laughs> dialogue and I think it's very hard in the beginning to know where to go but as you stated we have to go to their world because our world is overwhelming, maybe not even you know, understood by that child in any way, whether they're verbal or nonverbal, their understanding and perception is very different, their symptoms are different, their interests are different. So with Dan and pretty much every child or family that I work with, I want to look at what's their ability to engage with um, smiling together. What makes someone happy? What are the strengths? Can they do, like, share excitement over a silly situation? Um, With him, he would become verbal, but not with words, but more of a screaming. Yes. Um, very loud and also hitting himself very strongly in the chest.
1: And well, that, that was, was his form of of letting of being excited. You know, that's how he got excited too. You know, people think that slapping that they should do away with slapping. I've actually since I've worked with these kids for for so long. I've actually experimented with flapping, and for me, I mean, it sounds like I'm making fun, but it's not. When I was using it, when I was excited, and just, it really, it, you know, it felt, it, it worked for me. It was a way of, of releasing some of that excitement that I was feeling, and, I was, and it was contained within me, and it was a way of letting it out. What do you think about that?
2: I do think that there are certain behaviors that give the children a comfortable feeling. And if we try to interfere and change it because possibly it's not socially appropriate or something is um, seen as not safe or what have you, I think we have to give an alternative. And with Dan being frustrated and you know hurting himself and sometimes maybe coming at me, I've had to learn to teach them how to um, protest. And that's one of the first things that I teach when I'm with a new family, whomever, is that a child needs a way to protest even though they may continue to have to do what they've been requested. They at least need to be able to say, I don't want to. Um, You know, in your book you talk about, oh, that's too easy or I don't want to do it or different things you have to raise the bar and the expectation, but make some modifications. So really just trying to get the kids to have, I guess, a comfort zone to go back to and an ability to express their feelings. And therefore, whatever it is, slapping a noise, like you mentioned, I think it's all valid in their ability to communicate.
1: Right. Now, when again, when, when I opened up that program, we didn't have a lot of assessment tools, whatever, and many of these children at that particular time, and even now, were untestable. You've used something called DMT techniques and observation. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that works briefly?
2: Sure. DMT is dance movement therapy. My my master's degree is creative art therapy with a specialty in dance movement therapy which is a licensed um degree and what we really look at and it's using what now today requires years of training but at the time was an assessment tool but it's so in-depth and can be so in-depth that it's it's its own entity as a program but the laban movement analysis lets us know how people are moving through the world. What is their um, flow? Are they constricted? Are they, you know, out of control with their body? We look at um, weight. Are they moving too strong, therefore being impulsive or, you know, knocking people over or things like that? I'm just looking at a scenario from therapy or in the real right. world, crashing right. carts in the grocery store because you're too sudden, Um that kind of thing, and we like to look at where the preferences are and then bring them, you know, like you had said again, from their world to the world that accepts all of these time and space um, categories. So not you can't just be strong moving through the world. You can't just be light, tippy-toeing around. You have to have your identity. So accessing strengths and, again, getting the children or young adults to communicate with anticipation and to respond to attempts from other people I think all of that comes together when you learn to initiate with where they are you know running and being strong and then you can move that into a table game or a puzzle so that you're getting them to release what they really love and then to adapt to activities that are not preferred, but that they can learn to tolerate and eventually master. And it's a great um, tool and I use it for every person that comes into treatment in any of my private practice or my program, just to see if, if, if it's a match with whom they're interacting, whether it's peers, parents, whatever, because it's so important and, and it's on the internet. You can look it up and find these things and it's just a beautiful assessment tool.
1: Michelle, what was your biggest challenge or or even current challenge working with, with children with autism or children on the spectrum?
2: I will think about that for a minute.
1: Okay. So while you're thinking, we're going to talk about something else a little bit, and that is that... So many of these children, and my bully-free book is actually an accounting of stories from children and parents and young adults with special needs and autism who've been bullied and just just the ramifications and what that does. And and you've been utilizing, you know, these DMT techniques and and nonverbal techniques to, you know, for... I believe, bullying prevention. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and how it can be a preventative measure? Yes, and
2: thank you for helping me to introduce a book set with a workbook with it called Disarming the Playground, and it's by Rena Cornbloom and, again, that's accessible. And what we try to teach from the level of where the person is, their age-wise, are they aware of their space? So we'll do games of space detectives, space invaders. Are you giving other people enough space? This could be verbal or nonverbal. You could have kids standing in a hula hoop, and their arm, you know, reach might show them that they too close or too, not far enough to communicate and respecting other people's space. And we talk about ignoring, if somebody's teasing, we talk about, okay, is it safe to ignore? Look around, is there anyone close? And then use yourself to calm down and make a decision using your, hopefully your next layer of skills, which which would be to negotiate, distract, be friendly, which would surprise somebody, or give a compliment, which would really surprise somebody, and then you run. But it's just interesting how the movement is really the the biggest part of our communication with people in general, and with children who have communication deficits. We have to help them, especially with empathy and maybe some you know echolalia that people aren't used to or jargon things like that. So. Now, you and I know what
1: echolalia is. Would you like to tell our listening audience who isn't familiar with it? Because I think that's important.
2: Yes, echolalia would be um, using words, uttering words that are repetitive from something that's been heard. Um, For example, if I said, hi, how are you? Somebody else would say, hi, how are you? Or maybe not even that tone, but um, sometimes monotone. Or... I'm going to the beach today, and they might continue to repeat something, echoing something they may have seen on TV or something someone has said, and it's kind of a cycle you have to to break and help them to have their own replies rather than just repeating. It's very difficult. Do you have a better explanation?
1: Well, I think you did a great job. <laughs> So I think you. that's important. So have you thought about the biggest challenge that you've had in, in, in your career and working with children with autism?
2: Yes, I have. I
1: Okay, you want to share that with us, please?
2: I thoroughly believe that it is a family affair. And when we have a good support system and – repetition in the therapies, we see a great, great deal of progress. So the challenge is the trust from the families for me to be able to let them know that I can help them and therefore including them. And it's sometimes hard because we have to set limits, the expectations, and they may not be used to that um, kind of structure If it's a first child, it may be very, very difficult because there's no comparison. And when you start to intervene, they may realize, okay, there's something a little bit going on here when perhaps they didn't think so. So I've always believed it's not so much what you call it, but how the child is perceived in the world, what are the strengths, how do we build on the strengths and include not only create autism awareness but autism acceptance and using a buddy system with neurotypical children? I think getting more in place through the support system is the challenge I have. I feel like I'm just a little a little niche in my I love community of opportunity, but we are the wind. My theme is we're the wind for the wings, and if people trust me with their children, they're my wind. Their families are my wind, and I can then help them fly. You know, so I, think
1: what's important, I think what's also very important is that labels. I mean, we, we are so label-conscious, and I think that labels do these children so much injustice, and, and over the years have. I had one child that's actually, there's a, actually a story in the book, who was sent to a school for the deaf, because she was nonverbal and probably non responsive, and so they they made an assumption that she couldn't hear, which was a fallacy, it just wasn't true so so I agree with you i I don't like labels, I think that they detract from you know it's really about figuring out like we've been saying over and over again where this child is, where the children are, and being able to move from that place to accepting their world and and then when they're ready and not when we think that they should be ready to be able to show them our world now you've also you've talked a lot about not just working with the children michelle but also working with families when parents come into to the center what is one concern, I want to be brief with this, what is one concern that seems to be something that recurs that you hear over and over again from, from different parents?
2: Regarding their children or my services?
1: Not Being, is this, this is not about your services. This is about regarding their children. Okay.
2: I believe that the energy is generally positive because there's a – sort of a phasing where kids will come at a certain age and sort of stick with it and so they go through the changes of IEPs and different things like that. So they are challenged by the system. So I try to bring in I have a woman that'll come
1: in and do talks about how to advocate for IEPs.
2: We really when parents
1: modern- when parents come in, I mean they, you know, oftentimes because I've spoken to a lot of parents Oftentimes, a lot of their concerns are, like you're talking about IEPs, that they're not being heard, that their voice in the school system is not, it, it, you know, it, it, even though the, the – and an IEP, for many people who don't know, is an individual education plan, and many of these children, it's it's actually required that these children come through the school system with it, and it's sort of a contractual agreement. Between the schools and the families, and also in terms of what services need to be re- required, you know, what services are required, and what services that the school needs to be, the school needs to, to utilize with each individual child, sometimes individually, sometimes in groups, and that's based on assessments of these children. So what, what I'm thinking is that many of these children and their families, I mean I've I've met with parents who've said, I'm not being heard or these services that my child really needs are not being given because maybe it's a financial constraint or they're just not understanding. So when you when you hear some of those remarks from parents, are they focused around school are they focused around bullying outside of school? Are they focused around interaction or lack of interaction with the typical child or family? What what seems to be outside of your center? I want to deal with what what families encounter in the world. What seems to be some of the concerns that come up? Okay.
2: I do believe that in the school system, it needs to be updated for inclusion, and parents have rallied together and had programs changed to be less restrictive and more inclusive. So that was, you know, that's a real thing that happened in our district.
1: Well, that's, not that's sort of, right, that's been mandatory, and that's something that, you know, parents, I think parents have been, Incredible. And, you know, I have the history whereby many parents had to come together to change to to help change the law and to convince not only people, but legislators that that there needed to be changes to really safeguard the educational system for their children. So do parents have, other than the IEP and the inclusion, are there other concerns that parents address in terms of being out in the world, in the community, or is that something that you don't hear?
2: No, I hear I hear about a lot of things. And fortunately there are, like I see around, recreational activities where, you know, there's um, the Glee Club or the Fit life um, through you know the autism cares foundation and different things where people can go and be a part of the community and it makes it sensory friendly and it's a community and I try to offer that same thing I don't see these kids in particular being bullied um it's it's kids that are different that sort of uh, it's hard to it's hard to separate that but they're, not, they're more embraced in a certain way, and in a protective way, because people know that they have a difficulty even though it doesn't look like it, and I think you also mentioned one of the biggest things is just because I can't talk doesn't mean I don't understand. So we're very careful not to talk in front of the children about them.
1: Right, right. Um, but, But, see, you're talking about a very protective environment, which is your center, and I'm thinking in terms of the real world. You know, they're in school with kids who are typical. They're in in recreational programs or whatever, And, and oftentimes there may be a slur or somebody that doesn't understand. And I think it's great if your kids are kind of sheltered a little bit so that they're not experiencing that because I've heard other kinds of stories even on the playground and that again is in that Bully Free book whereby you know a parent there's one one encounter where a parent was outside in in her local neighborhood and and there were two girls who were making fun of her son who was autistic and he was playing along because he thought that wow, they want to play with me, and so you know they were they were making him do kind of demeaning kinds of things, and somebody well, the mother wasn't right there at the moment, but somebody else saw them, and she she said to them to stop it. And when the mother looked and saw what was going on. You know, she was very upset, and she had she she had to go into the bathroom and sort of gather herself because she was crying. So that you know, that's not always the encounter which is wonderful, but there are many encounters like that 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 make a family feel why should I risk bringing my child out in the community? Although it's so very important. We had Temple Grandin on the Power of Life radio show also on the TV show and she talked about how parents need to get past that and take their children out into the community to expose them to the community and vice versa to expose the community to them because the more exposure the more interaction the more acceptance and the more ability that that other people will have to understand and to get to a level of acceptance. What do you think is, I mean, what direction would you like to see? And, again, not in your center. I'm talking globally and I'm talking about in the world. What would you like to see, if anything, change to help these children and young adults become, um, you know, just, kind of a regular part of the community. What What do you think, and this is, you know, your perception, what do you think needs to happen?
2: I believe that the support system, again, is really important, and also the transitioning from adolescence to young adulthood, where we want to have individuals who are employable, who have skills, where we've uh, dedicated time to to certain activities or skills that they that are in their realm, and hopefully have typical peers who just know how to interact. And I believe that there will be more opportunities for job coaching, and that if families encourage ac- or if they access the different opportunities that you see for. Um, different age people that they will go out. I know one family who used to practice. If there was a party that was going to be at a playground, they would get in the car, drive to the playground, talk about it, go home maybe two days in advance, try it again and then hope that the child could could sustain that. So uh,
1: you know, you know, I I agree with what you're saying because basically there there needs to be a lot of practice. I work with a family now and her the the woman's son has brain damage and also is on the spectrum. He's brilliant in so many ways. He can actually build all sorts of he's helped her with her computer. He knows how to hack into it, which we won't talk about, but he knows how to put intricate machinery together and They've been having a challenge with getting, you know, they've been working with a facility. They've been having a challenge with getting him into jobs, and and that's really, you know, that's something that really needs to change because I think that we do, you know, these kids and, and young adults and adults have so much to offer, but we have to figure out what fits them and, again, not, you know, Not make them fit into a hole, a pigeonhole, but what fits them so that they can really be accepted, be earning a living, feel good about what they're doing, and be respected within their particular realm. And I'm not seeing enough of it. I'm really not. And when Temple Grandin was on the show, she talked about... How that's a major, major concern, and I agree with her. And and that's sort of what you just brought up, Michelle, that we need to be able to make sure that when these kids, even before they leave high school, that they that there's some kind of vocational training, so that we're preparing these kids in advance. When I did my um, I did my dissertation on children actually it was working with families and what views about families and their perception about what their kids needed when they exited, you know, education. And, and many of these parents were afraid that their kids were going to sit at home, that there were, you know, there's not enough available resources. Like you're talking about job skills and having a coach or one-on-one or whatever. And, Many kids, unfortunately, throughout the years have sat at home, and just like you and I, if we were sitting at home and doing nothing, and our brains weren't engaged, and we weren't learning new skills, I mean, we kind of would be, vegetate a little bit, and so many parents' concern is about that. When you started your center in 2008, what was your first what was your first, you know, why did you start it? What What was your intention? Do you remember?
2: <laughs> yes, of course I remember. It was a pivotal time, and it was in good timing with Dan coming uh, to sessions. It was a time where in the space where I was currently working, I had outgrown the fact that I you know, the movement could be much broader than just a small office. And it really, I knew I found scrap papers of different names and titles and, you know, my mission. And it actually culminated as my 10-year plan from a 1-5-10. This was the 2008 was from that. So from 1998, if I'm good with math. But it was when I graduated, I knew that I would be in the field, but I also knew I would have my own thing. I always just knew that I had something that I could already vision, but I didn't know what that was. And then I, for a birthday, I skydived, and the whole thing, just all the puzzle pieces just fell together with the property that went up for uh, rent the night before, and I walked in, it was just perfect, the vibe was good, and it was really the culmination of moving to the next step where I felt I could focus and call myself an authority with the population, and I also say related disorders because there are so many symptoms that can overlap with, you know, attention deficit, um, you know, the more, you know, understanding personal body language, things like that, so the beautiful piece to the center is that it's not only individual based but group sessions occur weekly and in right the group, we talked
1: about you know we we talked about that too that it has so many resources workshops for groups and community-based programs, which are so important. And I think, you know, it's wonderful that, that you had that vision and you had that dream because you're helping so many people. And when something's meant to be, this is this is my perception, the door is open. It's, it's as though you're being guided in some way. Now, we're almost out of time, and I want to give a little bit of tribute to Teresa Cooper. She may still be having a challenge in the school, and but she also had some wonderful information to offer. So I'm just going to do a little bit of her bio that I have. And it says, Before deciding to become a teacher, Teresa Cooper worked as a caseworker for social services and then taught special education for eight years. She teaches math now currently to seventh graders. She is the author of Embracing the Spectrum. She writes articles about teaching and special education and has certifications in special ed, secondary math, elementary ed, middle school language, etc. She became a huge advocate for children with disabilities since one of her two children has autism. And Teresa Cooper has been featured on the Washington Post, 10-Step Survival Guide for Special Ed Teachers, and in many other sites. So I'm hoping that we can hear from her at some point in the future because she had a lot to offer us about resources for parents and some of the challenges. You you and I have talked most of the time about you know what it's like working with children, because that's our vantage point. however, she had what it's like you know to to be a parent and raising a child with autism. So that insight is so very, very important. Michelle, very, very briefly, give us what what would you like our listeners to come away with, something really quick because I don't want to lose the time here. Sure.
2: I would want anybody listening to know that these children all have talents, gifts, and dreams of their own. And if you read More Heaven, you'll get a sense of how different each child who does have autism, how they perceive the world, and how how Joanne captures that. That's the best thing. And it's really, I think, important for parents to always have expectations just like they would, but with modification. So really believing and hoping and giving skills and the unconditional love is the most important thing for these children and families.
1: We're the wings for their wings. Yes, we are. How can people find you if they, they want to get more information about your center, making real connections? How can they find you real fast?
2: Well, everything is labeled "Making Real Connections." Whether it's .com, I mean, it's .com or Facebook, um, Google, YouTube, Pinterest, and then there's other links. But um, it's really so it's, the wedding captures it.
1: Making real connections. I'm looking at it right now. Making real, making real connections. Is it making real connections or great connections?
2: Real. Making real connections are the same as my name, Michelle Renee Connor, in terms of how they line up and have all the similar letters. So, making real connection, MRC, MRC. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm MRC Blue because my studio's studio blue, royal blue
1: butterflies everywhere. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your input and certainly love what you're doing with the people that you're serving in your center making real connections and more we will you and I will do more together. So, thanks so much Michelle Renee Connor for your information and for what you're doing in the world to help children, young adults and families on the spectrum.
2: Thank you so much, Joanne. I appreciate it, and I hope everyone listening got something great.
1: Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like I said, I'm sorry that we missed Teresa Cooper because she had another piece to our story, which would have been very beautiful. So remember, you can get a hold of Michelle. Michelle at makingrealconnections.com you can get a hold of me at com, drj o a n n e w h i t e.com my book more heaven because every child is special just won a wonderful award from mom's choice for excellence and also just received a a blue ribbon and you can get more heaven because every child is special on amazon in many different formats next week we're shifting gears june 15th i'm going to have as a wonderful guest and debbie dashinger who is going to talk about the success principles that you need for true success so tune in on the 15th if you've missed any part of today's show You can check it out on Blog Talk Radio or also on my website and check the link because as soon as as we get off, the show is available for everybody to listen. So listen because we had some important information that not just families with children on the spectrum need to hear but also, I believe, People in the community, it's time to raise our level of awareness and acceptance for people who are different and to embrace their differences because they can make an incredible, wonderful difference in our lives, and they have so much to share. Thanks for joining in to power your life, and remember that you have the ability and to power each day. You have so much within you. Bring out your wealth of gifts and experience to share and shine a light on your day. Thanks again. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire.